Making everyone happy on vacation isn't easy, but you know what is? Going to Aruba. All you have to do is walk out your door to find pristine pools, relaxing white sand beaches, and an island teeming with outdoor activities that'll put a smile on any face. You won't just feel great, you'll all feel great, filled with a calmer, more peaceful vibe that radiates Aruba's warmth. And the best part is, it never fades. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your family trip at aruba.com. This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. Buenos dias, Joby. Como estas? Muy bien, y tú? Estas listo para responder algunas grandes preguntas hoy? Uh, no comprende. Well, all I asked you right there is, are you ready to answer some great questions today? But I had to start out in Spanish because the last time I heard you talk, Joby, it wasn't in English. Oh, it was yeah. a voice that sounded like yours, but it was in Espanol. And so can you give us a peek behind the curtain, what you guys are trying to do? Are we taking over Central America? Is that what's happening? Uh, nah, man. Our, our communications team has figured out through AI how to translate sermons in my voice into Spanish. And we got a pretty significant Spanish-speaking population in and around Jacksonville, and uh, we have a lot of Spanish-speaking folks that come to church, but English is a second language, and so we're just trying to get the gospel out to anybody and everybody we can. It's gonna be All cool. right. Well, um, I don't know how many people would listen to my show if I talked like I did at the beginning the whole time, but maybe that's something that we can look at. But we need to dig in right here from the jump. You and I were talking about this earlier, and I was like, wanted to pause it and to wait till we got on the show. So obviously, there's a pastor that you and I are both huge fans of that got into some hot water here recently, and that's Alistair Begg. Alistair Begg might have the best like two minute clip in the history of any sermon where he talked about the man on the middle cross. It's, it's, you've said before, that's what you listen to before you run out on stage and do your thing. But here recently, for those that are not, you know, caught up on this, he was asked on part of his radio show, this woman called in and said, I, I can't remember what part of her family was, but that, uh, one of the family members was transgender and they were getting married, but you know, transgender is not real. So it was basically a gay wedding and asked Alistair Begg what he should do or what they should do in that moment. And Alistair Begg was like, not only do I think you should go to the wedding, I think you should buy them a gift. And it took the woman by surprise. She was shocked to hear him say that. That was like back in September or something like that, but it just kind of hit the skids on, on Twitter here in the last couple of weeks. But then even yesterday, before we got on here, the, uh, he got dropped by his radio station that you know puts his sermons out across like 1,500 different uh, radio stations or something like that because apparently they called him and his team to get him to maybe qualify his statement a little bit further and maybe even give him a chance to be like, yeah, maybe I shouldn't have worded it that way. But apparently he doubled down and he said in no uncertain terms, we need to start taking risks in order to spread the gospel to more people. Now, as you just described, you and your team, you're taking the risk, <clears throat> excuse me, by going into Spanish to reach your people. But it seems like Alistair Begg is, you know, he's not going the way of Andy Stanley because Andy Stanley won't even answer if homosexuality is a sin. I think Alistair Begg would clearly say that it is a sinful behavior that we shouldn't participate in. And yet he thinks we should participate in a ceremony celebrating a sin. So give me your read on it. What are your thoughts on it? Is he right? Is he wrong? What would you have done if you were asked that question? Ready, set, go. A uh, big qualification is I love Alistair Begg, and until you sent me this particular quote, 
I don't think I'd ever read or heard him say anything that I didn't amen. Okay, so same. I'm into him. Um, uh, a marriage ceremony is a unique event that is different than any other kind of ceremony or any other kind of event that you would attend if you're invited to attend. Because historically, um, if you're doing a Christian wedding, you're not a you're not just an attender. You're actually a participant in this covenant that's happening. So you'll probably remember from movies or whatnot. There was historically there was this section of the wedding where the pastor would ask if anyone sees any reason why these two should not be joined together, speak now or forever hold your peace. Well, if you're honest, you would have to be like, um, it's two dudes. That's right. a reason. Okay, yeah. so you're not just an observer. You're at, you're an actual participant. Now, I don't do the when I do weddings. Um, I don't do the speak now or forever hold your peace. But I do a part when you ask the question of intent. Will you take this man to be your lawfully wedded wife? Will you take this man to be your lawfully wedded husband? I do, I do. And then I step around and look at everybody there and say, we live in a world that does not help people stay married. Will you do your part to love, pray for, and help them fulfill their marital covenant till death do they part? And then I say, and if not, then you're uninvited to the rehearsal. I mean, the reception, everybody laughs. But what I'm asking them is you are not a casual observer of what's happening. You're an active participant in this community for these two people. Because of that, I do not think the Christian should go to a same-sex wedding at all because you're not just observing that by letter of the law they're getting married. You are participating in it. I would say a birthday party, 100%. Hmm. Even if it's a birthday party for their kid, which I don't really think they should have, you know, even all of that kind of stuff, you're not a participant in it, an active participant. But if you're a guest at a wedding, you are. And so that's the distinction there. I do think we should be doing everything we can to share the gospel with everybody that needs Jesus, which is everybody. But that's over the line because of that participation in the covenant. Yeah, and for me personally, I don't think this is like a cancelable cancelable offense by him because I listen to pastors whose theology I don't agree with 100%. I, I listen to pastors who have said really stupid things that they've doubled down on because of some sort of pride issue or something. But this came up for me about 15 years ago. I had a buddy who's his two, two of his best friends were gay with each other. And he was straight, but those were like his best friends from like elementary school. They ended up being gay and, and getting, you know, married square scare quotes around married. And he said, Kyle, I don't know what to do. Should I go to the wedding? And I said, no, but what I do think you should do is you and your wife should be the first family to host them after they get back from their non wedding, non honeymoon and host them for dinner. Like you should have them over and you should love on them and you should show them the gospel and preach the gospel to them. But in no, no way, shape or form, can you be a best man? Can you be a groomsman? Any of those types of things. But as this was going on, Joby, it just brought up again, this whole notion of pronoun hospitality. There are a lot of Christians that think, okay, this guy, I knew him as Larry. Now he introduced himself as Mary and he wants me to refer to him as Mary and use feminine pronouns. Now, if you change your name, Joby, if all of a sudden you say, my name's Janet, I'll call you Janet. But if you tell me I need to refer to you using feminine pronouns, now you're causing me to sin because you're causing me to knowingly lie. 
What, what is your advice, I guess, to people that are really, really nice people, Joby? They don't like ruffling feathers. They don't like conflict at all. They want to go along to get along. They want to be known for what they're for, not what they're against. That just go down this road of pronoun hospitality. Um, I think that there's a part of their in, intent. Well, first and foremost, I wouldn't do it. Just don't use a pronoun. You know, you don't have... A pronoun is a replacement for a noun. So just always use the noun. You know, that's what I would do. Even though it, it may be cumbersome to continuously say the name Kyle and never say he, I just say Kyle. Just say the name over and over and over. All right. Um, so I think while they have, they may have a decent intent, um, what goes through my mind is, is uh, when King Nebuchadnezzar says, when you hear the music, you better bow. And we, the church, has celebrated the boys that didn't bow forever. Right. And it seems like a pretty close connection in our culture where, listen, man, when they were trying to pass legislation, they did pass legislation on same-sex marriage. And Christians, people like me would say, okay, hold on. We're talking about different things here. Why don't you just call it civil union for the legitimate things like healthcare and can I visit my person in the hospital mm-hmm. or passing, you know, like wills and all of that. Okay. But God has defined marriage as a man and a woman. And so why are you trying to like play our game and change all the rules? Why don't you just make them a new set of rules for what you're talking about? And they're like, well, how does this impact you? Well, if you fast forward a little bit, the way it impacts me and you is now if we play the music and you don't bow down to this idol, then you are the bigot and could even one day be prosecuted for it. Right. That's the difference. So this is just one more step in bowing down to the idol when the king of the air plays his tune that is outside of what scripture says. And I'm just telling you, it's going to cost you. For sure it's going to cost you. But it cost Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and it cost Daniel. And so the the real question is, who is your Lord, man? And if Jesus is your Lord, you got to do what he says, no matter the cost. Hey guys, real quick, as you've likely heard me talk about on the show before, it took me forever before I started taking supplements of any kind. I was always nervous about taking like whey protein and creatine or really anything beyond that because I was just afraid of what was in the product and if it was going to like give me cancer someday or something like that. And I was always scared of these companies, these supplement companies, just cutting corners and using low quality products and eventually putting things in their products that could cause problems for me and my body. So I've always wanted to partner up with an American company that uses high quality ingredients in their supplements and that's why I want to remind you guys that we are partnered with Jocko Fuel. So Jocko Fuel is Jocko Willink's American-based supplement company. So what are some of my favorite products that they make that I also use? They have the best tasting greens powder on the market. I love the peach flavor myself. They also make whey protein powder. The banana cream is my favorite. They make energy drinks. The Jocko Go energy drinks. My favorite is currently a tie between their iced tea lemonade and their pink lemonade flavors. I also use their creel oil, their creatine, their vitamin D, and also their sleep aids. And they make a bunch of other stuff like ready to drink protein, protein cookies, which are actually really delicious. My boys even like them, pre-workout powder, and much, much more. Guys, If you take your health and wellness seriously, then you've got to put high quality products in your body. 
Try Jocko Fuel out today by going to www.jockofuel.com. That's jockofuel.com. Use the promo code UNDAUNTED to get 10% off of your order. Again, that's jockofuel.com. Promo code UNDAUNTED to get 10% off of your order. One like you and I talked about last time, the king of the air, I think, works through music specifically because he was a worship leader in heaven. So why wouldn't he use uh, the worship of music here on earth to get his will done? But also... There's nothing more nefarious happening than the LGBTQ thing, not only because there's a plus on the end, which basically can mean anything, not only the fact that, you know, the the bi and the trans don't really don't really jive together and people are trying to figure out feminism and how that works with trans ideology. But the thing about it is, is if you can attack the institution of marriage, you are undoing the thing God gave us to where we can best understand Jesus's love for us because as Jesus died for his bride, we as men want to die for our bride as well. It's kind of that same thing. But also if we get you to believe that gender is not real, and as Jordan Peterson said here recently, there's no more fundamental truth than that there are separate genders, that there are separate sexes. If we can get you to believe that, we can get you to believe anything. So it's just one of the most nefarious things that we're seeing in our modern moment. But I need to talk to you right now about a quote of yours that you say often that I just hate. I hate this quote. (laughs) I hate it more than anything. I've heard your sermons. I've watched you talk in person. You and I have hung out. You've said a bunch of things I agree with, but there's one statement that just drives me up a wall, and it's this. You can be right or you can be married. That's right. Don't don't say it. Don't say that's right yet because I haven't even gotten to why I think it sucks, okay? This is why I think that that statement sucks. It's because truth exists. And so if your wife is wrong about something, not a different opinion, not has a different feeling about how things should be done in the household or with parenting or whatever, mm-hmm. but if she's wrong, it is incumbent upon us as the head of the house, not the head of her, but as the head of the household – and as her partner to correct that wrong and say, hey, we are to be people of truth. We are not to lie. We're certainly not to lie knowingly. And so in that moment, I feel like I need a little bit more context because every time you say that, I go, and my shoulders get up and it gets my hackles all, all up. And you've said it to my face before and I don't appreciate it. So help me out, Joby. Help me. <clears throat> yeah, I would point you to Ephesians 5 and that husbands should love their, love their wives as Christ loved the church. And fundamentally... Um, Jesus could have been right. I mean, he was right when he comes to the earth. He's sinless, but he doesn't point at us and say, I'm right, you're wrong, you figure it out. He submits himself and becomes sin on our behalf that we could be made his righteousness. That's really what I mean. Now, I am not saying you should overlook sin in the life of your wife because in the life of any believer that you love and you have a relationship with, we are called to encourage one another, hold each other accountable, you know, get the log out of our eyes so that we can help them get the speck out. I'm not saying that you, I mean, in that same passage, we're supposed to wash our wives in the water of the word so that they would be sanctified and be presented as holy and blameless unto the Lord for sure. In any good marriage, there's there's iron sharpening iron because we're mutually submitted to one another out of reverence for Christ. But fundamentally, if you have to be right, there's a lot of people that were right. They just ain't married anymore. That's what I mean. They're just not married anymore. And so we as husbands are called constantly to lay down our right to be right 
so that we can love our wives. And again, I'm not saying you overlook sin. I'm not, of course, there's, you know, they could be wrong about something factual and you can point that out. That's not what I mean. I'm talking about, I got to win the fight. I got to come out on top. My way is the way. And that's out of the line with how Jesus treated us as ransomed wives, you know, as the church. All right. So let's talk about hills that are worth dying on. Because usually when I'm told that, you were telling me that in the context of a fight that you deemed to be between me and my wife to be completely not worth it. And you basically told me, you're like, yeah, Kyle, that's worth it. You need to drop that. And I was like, you don't know me, Joby. And we got a fist fight in your truck while driving down the highway. It was fun. But like, what are those hills? And I, I know it's contextual to the relationship. So I, so we need to be fair, but just in general, what are those hills that families should die on? Should it be, you know, what type of school the kids go to, what types of activities are going to be a part of and not be a part of the type of church that you're going to like, where do you kind of, as a man, if you're like, okay, I'm with you, I'm with you, Joby. I, I want to love her yeah. as Christ, love the church. I want to be sacrificial, but I can't sacrifice everything. Where do I draw that line? Man, I think it's I think it'd be a really good idea to identify the difference between God's precepts and your preferences and as much as possible lay your preferences down. I share while I share your convictions on how you should educate children in these days because of the that um that episode you just did about did the commies win or whatever that was called. Mm-hmm. I I don't think you could be more right. I mean, There was a plan from back in the day to completely corrupt our schools. It's brutal. However, even though I don't know that you can find a Bible verse to to full on say, if if you send your kid to public schools, then that's a sin. Do you know what I mean? So there are some that might be that bad. So what's, what's hard is when you have, when you have preferences that are based on the Bible, but it's not like God's precept, that God's law. So the hills to die on are sin. We don't, we're not okay with just outright sin. You know, you don't just continuously roll over uh, and serve your wife if she continuously cheats on you. Jesus said that breaks the covenant. Um, Things like abuse and mistreatment of children, those things are obviously outside the bounds. I, I, I think it's, it's going best when, I mean, you can't have this literal conversation with your wife because it won't go good, but this is kind of a caricature of how it ought to go. All right, I'm head of this household. I am ultimately responsible for everything. I guess I have the final say. So what do you want to do? And then she says it and you go, okay, as the head of the house, I'm going to lay down all of my preferences and we're going to do that because I love you. Um, a really an, an actual live example is Gretchen and I were supposed to lead a mission trip years and years ago. And the weekend before at church, Reagan, my daughter, got her toenail ripped off by and in like a door. And um, it was pretty gnarly. Gretchen, all the mom instincts kicked in for G. And so she wanted to bail on the mission trip to take care of Reagan. And I'm thinking it's a toenail. This is the devil trying to keep you from taking the gospel. And we had a pretty, I mean, you know, a pretty heated yeah. exchange over this thing. Cause I was like, you're being ruled by fear. Da, 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 da. She knows I go to the woods on Mondays to write my sermon. She sends me this long text that basically said, I know you're talking to the Lord today. I know the Lord speaks to you. I know the Lord has put you as the head of our house. So whatever you decide, I'll be okay with. Then she said, 
I may be emotional about it. It may take me a second to get on board with what God tells you about our family. That's what she said. Bro, that is that is what wives submit to your husband is. So I get home and I go, the Lord has spoken. She's like, all right, what do he say? I go, tell me what you want to do again. She's like, I think I should stay home with Reagan. I go, it is decided mm. you're staying home with Reagan. I do think at least that one time in our 23 years, that's what mutual submission as unto the Lord looks like. Like okay. she, she invited me to lead and I leveraged my leadership to listen to my wife. And she was right. The whole toenail fell off while we were like, while I was out of town and it was good for mom to be there. So that's when we're getting it right. Most of the time we want to be right, especially dudes like me and you, cause we fight for a living and we have Bible verses and, um, mm. It's pretty, we're pretty terrible people to fight with. And especially too, man, we speak for a living. So guys like you and I with rightness on our side can leverage our words to kind of hem our wives into an unwinnable position. That is, that is exactly the opposite of what Jesus did for us. That conversation has literally come up with Kelsey and I to where at one point she stopped arguing with me. She goes, You've gotten really good at arguing. Yeah. I don't have anything I can say that's going to overcome it. I can just tell you I don't like this. And it's right. like, ugh. That's where you're like, I'm super right, but I feel icky. It's like, I don't want to feel icky. Now, I'm doing something here that I swear I'm never going to do, but then I get into the Q&A and then I just start dominating the questions with my own questions. Don't worry, we will get to listener questions and fan questions here in a second. But you mentioned something here recently that I think a lot of people maybe have not even thought to ask about. But I remember years and years ago, uh, uh, Matt Chandler was doing a sermon where he talked about if a woman was in an abusive situation where she is literally being physically accosted by her husband, right? Being beaten up, you know, what would the church do? And he gave his answer. So we'll let people, you know, I'll let him speak for himself on that. But when people look at the grounds for divorce, it's death and breaking of the covenant via adultery. And so I, I, uh, Corinthians talks about abandonment and I would put abuse under that. Okay. So, so let's talk more about that. So let's say a yeah. guy in church of 1122, he's yeah. hitting his woman. Y'all know he's hitting his woman. She wants to be the good wife and she doesn't think she can leave. She's scared for her, scared for the kids. W what do you do as her pastor in that moment? Call the police and put him in prison immediately. Get her help, help her understand that first Corinthians, Paul says, Hey, listen, you should do everything you you could try to do to stay married. You know, here's a couple of things that break the covenant, but abandonment is one of those. And when you get physical, when you know physical abuse is it's worse than abandonment. And so I would put that in that category and come around her. Now, if the tomb is empty, anything is possible. So people can repent and people can change. And if you don't believe that, we just got to quit this whole Christianity, man. Um, but I, but it is not fair to ask a woman to put herself or her children in any kind of dangerous situation like that. Um, so, so you call the police, this guy gets arrested. He's tried, he's convicted and all that. They're still married though. Yes, they are. But I, I think it, um, Paul says that you can get divorced if you're abandoned okay. in first Corinthians. So I think she could, she could and should, well, she could, um, file for divorce and I would support it. Okay, so before Here, here's the here's the people that there are people that want to get divorced and they want to meet with me. I don't know why they want to meet with me. They know what I'm going to say. 
there's only infidelity, abandonment that that I think the Bible makes concessions for you get, to get divorced. And again, I think abuse is under that ab- abandonment umbrella. But I but I think you should do everything possible to stay married, even if it does end in divorce. What I found is people come into my office, they want me to like. They think I'm like the evangelical pope, and they want me to bless it and be like, no, I don't worry about it. It's okay. And I don't do that, man. I don't. <clears throat> um, but but what I want them to understand, even if there is infidelity, even if it does end in divorce, I want them to lay their head on the pillow one day, years from now, and know with the Lord, I did everything I could do. Like Paul says in Romans, as far as it was up to me, I tried to lead, lead, live peaceably but it wasn't possible. Okay, that's helpful because I know a lot of people are like, hey, we're, we're strict. We're going to do exactly what the scripture says. Scripture doesn't really speak to this. And that's why I tell people all the time is like the Bible is the source of ultimate truth, but it's not the source of all truth. It can't tell me who you know won the Civil War. It can't tell me you know what two hydrogens and one oxygen makes. It can't tell me any of those types of things. Now, before there's a mutiny, I need to get on to the to the fan questions, guys. Again, if you want to ask questions to Pastor Joba, Pastor Joby via this podcast, you have to be a monthly donor, and you can submit the questions via our inbox or on social media or something like this. So this is a question from Reg, who is one of our earliest followers. I think he was like our first or second monthly donor. So thank you, Reg, for being a donor. Here's his question: I know the church is not about me and my needs, but how do you know when it's okay to church shop or full on change churches? Um, well, first and foremost is, do they stand on the authority of the word of God? That That's first and foremost. So <clears throat> anytime a preacher, pastor, leaders begin to move away from the authority of God, Jesus is going to leave the building and mm-hmm. you should get your things and get your kids and not go back there. Uh, then it begins to be about relationships, about serving, about, and again, I think the question is not so much like, what do I get out of it? But participating in that faith family, am I being discipled? Am I able to take steps of obedience in the direction that God has called me to take? And if not, for whatever reason, it may be an opportunity. It may be time for you to find another place. And you know, there's different seasons of life, man. We have people that were part of 1122 for a long time, and for whatever reason. They've decided to go to another church. We happily send those, bless those folks and do it. I mean, you know, maybe it's like kids programming there works better for their children or it doesn't matter, whatever the thing is. They have a women's ministry that we don't have, whatever, man, no problem there. Um, I do think it would be helpful to talk with the leadership of the church, though, if you were involved as a mature believer should be involved in that church and let them know what's going on. But if they're not teaching the Bible, you should get out immediately. Um, outside of that, man, I, you kind of just got to pray, guess, and go. But the key question, though, is is about your discipleship and you being plugged in to serve that church, not just about like, you know, a new church started and they've got better music. That's a illegitimate reason. Yeah, I basically once a day or once every other day, I get an email from a guy like, hey, I live in whereversville, Tennessee. You know, uh, is there a church in this area that you know that's man friendly? And I'm just like, in general, you need to look at is it expository preaching? Is it verse by verse or is it, you know, is it all 
subject matter based that they sprinkle Bible verses in on the back end. <clears throat> you know, are the ch- is the church full of men? Are the men involved? Are the men singing? Are the men volunteering? Um, you know, is is the are the words being sung from the stage? Did they make you think of Jesus as your boyfriend or Jesus as you know the, the conquering King? But then also, I always end with. Don't look for a place to serve you. Look for a place that you can serve. Maybe that's the enormous church uh, that used to be a Walmart. Maybe that's the church that has a hundred people, and there's a spot specifically for you and your family. And so there's a whole lot of things to consider. This, but the believer church attendance is not an option, man. And I know I'm right. a pastor, and I want people to go to church, but it's not like the church in Ephesus. The people. It's not like Paul said, "Find a man-friendly church in Ephesus." It was just the church. You know, so you go, you plug in, you serve. And if you have options then you choose the best of your options, but right. if you don't yeah. have options, whatever, man, you know, well, that's if it's- the same thing. No, sorry. I was going to say the same thing. Like a lot of people have started going to faith Bible church in Edmond, Oklahoma, because I've mentioned it a lot on the show. I don't yeah. love everything about that church. I just flat out don't. I've, I've talked about it here uh, on the show before. Like, it's not my favorite music. It's not my, my favorite like sermon style, but it's a healthy church. And the, the fact that it's a healthy church overrides every other thing that I might have a complaint about because it's healthy. It grew very, very slow before it blew up big and they take care of the kids very, very well. And I don't just mean babysitting. I don't mean just giving them fun games to play, but actually trying to instill biblical truths on the hearts of, yeah. you know, two and three year olds. Like that's a big deal. So I'm with you on well, all that. One more thing on this. One of the, I mean, one of the really positive things about church online these days is, <clears throat> We know lots and lots and lots of people that stay involved in their church, even though they don't love the preaching and they don't love the music, but they've got great relationships and they're in great Bible studies like you are in the foraging table and you talk about your Sunday school. And then they just use 1122 online or any other church um, to just kind of supplement their, their weekend experience. And so I think that's a totally okay thing to do is, you know, you could kind of get that preaching itch scratched and that worship itch scratched online as you are a fully immersed member in your local church. And I I don't see a problem there. Yeah, same thing. So if you listen to Shane and Shane because you don't like the band at your church, great, you're supplementing. Like I've listened to basically every Matt Chandler sermon since college. I've listened to every one of your sermons for the last two years. I've listened to Alistair Begg and John MacArthur and and Steve Lawson and all these different guys. Those are all supplements and they all work. But I'm not called to serve those people's churches and ministries. I'm called to serve the local church. And so that's why I'm there doing that. All right, next listener donor question here is from Eric. When trying to make a big decision, how much credence should someone give to signs and coincidences? Uh, um, very little. Only, <clears throat> yeah, very little. You should read the Word of God, and you should never decide to do something that is out of line with what the Word of God says. But like you said earlier, it's not going to tell you what college to go to or who to work for. You surround yourself with godly people, wise men or women, depending on who you are, that can speak into it. And one of the key questions is, I mean, the Great Commission is the marching orders of the church. And so how does that line up with Jesus saying, therefore go and make disciples of all nations? You know, Um, I would be very, very hesitant to look for the signs and things because they're just you you pretty much just see what you want i mean i listen tebow comes to our church and before he got married 
I used to get these. I can't even imagine what he got. I would get these long letters from these girls in our church. And God had told them that it was my responsibility to connect them. And the things they would describe, they would be like, you know, I woke up this morning right at 1015 and his number is 15 and every light was green and the sky was orange and blue today. And to steal a JD quote, uh, I'd be like, oh, that sounds more like the, the preamble to a restraining order than a sign from the Lord. So I'd be I'd be suspect of being the interpreter of those signs. Well, I've heard very godly people say things like, I don't believe in coincidences in, anymore. That I read the Bible too much. I'm like, I super duper believe in coincidences. There are some times where you literally just bump into people. And then there are times where you bump into people that, and it was preordained that that was going to happen so that you sure. would say something out of your face hole that would have an impact on them in their life. But if you say everything in life is that way, boy, oh boy, are you going to like start, you're going to get into like necromancing at some point because it's like, well, this is going to be, you're just going to go down the sorcery uh, line with that. So we need to get into the next uh, question here and this one's from vance it's a little bit of a long one so let's dig in a few years ago i mentored a couple of guys as part of my role as a supervisor at my job i even helped one of them get back and forth to work when his car was in the shop on the day we fired one of them the u.s marshals rolled up for child rolled him up for child porn he's serving only five years instead of taking the room temperature challenge the other one quit and took another job he has since raped a seven-year-old girl and is serving 25. The amount of anger I have towards them is eating me up. We want people to be saved, but I want them in hell. I'm angry and I don't see any signs of, and I didn't see any signs of it, so I could have done something about it. How can I keep the anger from eating me up? I justify it by saying it's righteous anger, so in my anger, I'm not sinning. How can I trust people again? Um, <clears throat> yeah, first and foremost, I'd, I'd, I'd commend you to listen to what Paul said and not think too highly of yourself. I mean, those are atrocious things. There's no doubt. And justice will be served, hopefully on this side of eternity, but for sure on the other side. And um, you should be righteously anger on behalf of the victim, not just because you're disappointed in these people. These are very different things. I mean, one of the things that made the Pharisees the Pharisees is they just thought by their good works they were better than everybody else. Be very, very careful to not go there. Um, and one, man, if you if you do ministry and disciple people, just get ready for a lifetime of disappointment. I mean, was there a better discipler than Jesus? And all every single one of his disciples let him down to different degrees. All right, so that's just a part of it. Um, I, I'm thinking about John chapter nine with the man born blind, when they eventually get the blind guy um, and they're like, all right, so what happened? And it's like the third time. And he says, why are you asking? Do you want to become a disciple too? And then they say, I love it so much. That's my guy. <clears throat> and so, but they say, who are you to speak to us? You were born in utter iniquity and you think you would teach us. You see, the problem there is they forgot that they too were born in utter iniquity. And so you don't ever want to lose the posture of the beggar that you've got nothing to bring to the Lord, but only hands wide open to receive. And I'm saying that that because because anger will begin like like when there's resentment for a long time, which means a lot oftentimes that comes from unforgiveness. See, Matthew chapter 18, forgiveness isn't about feelings. Forgiveness is you don't owe me anymore. And you need to forgive those two guys for letting you down. I mean, because you gave them you gave them effort, you gave them attention, and they did atrocious things. 
and you feel like they owe you an apology, they owe you better decisions, and you're going to need to cancel that debt because what starts out as unforgiveness moves to resentment, which moves to anger. And then, man, if you get some misplaced anger, like you don't know what to do with it because there's nothing you can do with it, dude. I mean, you can't go beat these guys up. There's nothing you can do with it. Then it'll begin to bleed into even other relationships. And before you know it, you have this like pharisaical view of everybody. Like, I can't trust you. Well, of course, man, because everybody's going to let us down. And so knowing that we let the Lord down and yet he would love us and redeem us and continuously pursue us has to be at the forefront of your mind so that you can love and serve people, even love and serve your enemies. Well, that's what I talked about a few weeks ago when it was the Epstein list came out and everybody's real obsessed with and all that. And my feedback to that was, let's not all pretend like we're not depraved. We have different flavors of sin and their flavor just happens to be like wretched diarrhea. But at the same time, it's like, that's a sin that can send that person to hell and you lying to people is the sin that sends you to hell. We all need the blood of Christ to cover that. Uh, next question here is from Nathan Mormons, Catholics, and Jehovah's witnesses all claim to be the one true church. What is, or should be the Protestant response to that claim? And why don't Baptists or Presbyterians make that same claim while engaging in evangelism? Uh, the, uh, the answer would be nope. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Two of them are cults, and one just has uh, a really terrible theology of soteriology. So, and none of them line up with what Jesus said in Matthew 16 at Caesarea Philippi. So, uh, the the response is what Jesus, what Peter says at Caesarea Philippi, that the church would be built upon the public declaration that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the Living God, and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And I mean. Part of the beauty of the Protestant movement is we all agree. I mean, Orthodox Bible believing Protestant churches believe that the church is built on the good news of the gospel, period. And we know that through the Bible, period, and we're saved by faith, period. And that the authority is the scripture. And then there's all kind of other things that we disagree on. And so there's all kind of different flavors of churches. So like mode of baptism or who gets to be a pastor and who doesn't. Okay, those things are not essential to salvation. And so that's what the church is. It's built on the rock that Jesus is the Christ, the son of a living God. All right. That was a very cogent answer. I didn't think we were going to get to this next question, but I think we've got time. So this is the last one that I'll ask. This is from Daniel. What does it look like to spend quality time in the word each day? Is it just opening up the Bible and reading the Bible in a year through the Bible app? Or is it taking a section and reading it slowly and trying to find the true meaning? Should we use a concordance or other outside materials to help us understand the meaning of verses? And it, it basically goes on from there. So what does it look to look like to spend quality time in the word? Doesn't matter. Uh, the, the thing you've got to understand is that the Bible is not the point. The Bible is a means to an end and the end is Jesus. So see John chapter 15, where Jesus says, abide in me and I will abide in you. That's relationship terms. And then one of the ways that he says that we abide in him or stay close to him is in his word. Abide in my word and I will abide in you. So <clears throat> none of those things that you said are bad and none of them are uh, the only thing that you should do. Um, <clears throat> I wouldn't do the like Bible roulette thing where you just open up randomly and read randomly. That's not how it was written. So I would read through books of the Bible at whatever chunk you want. There has like once, uh, uh, maybe two years ago, 
I, I have a hard time reading the Bible without pre, without thinking about preaching it, you know, which yeah. is fine. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And so what I decided to do for my Bible reading time for an entire year was just listen on my Bible app because I, I couldn't. I mean, I guess I could, but I chose not to stop it every time I had a thought. I just wanted to take in huge chunks. Well, this year I'm doing like only the New Testament one chapter at a time. And then sometimes I dive in real deep and then sometimes you just kind of read. The key is just to remember the point is not just the Bible in and of itself. That God's word is a means to an end, and that end is is him being glorified by us knowing him better, being obedient to him, being in relationship with him. And I think when you do that, it kind of it takes the legalism off. So for me, you know, on Mondays, what Bible reading looks like to me is I'm sitting in the woods for a bunch of hours trying to figure out how to preach it. Typically on Friday mornings, I'm sitting on my back porch watching the birds come into my bird feeders, listening to some some worship music and just I just kind of stay in it until my affections are stirred for him in that environment. Um, I know you and your forging table crew, it seems to me what stirs your affection, the commentaries really get you going, you know? So the the Puritans talk about mortification and vivification. And so mortification just means you kill the sin before it kills you. And vivification means you just do the things that stir your affections for the Lord, that grow your relationship with Him. So those things can change seasonally. I would also encourage you maybe do a thing that's not your norm for a season. So like if you're not a journaler, why don't you just try for like, just pick one book of the Bible and journal through it. If you're not like a meditator or a scripture memorizer, why don't you do that? Why don't you add some things that aren't just your comfortable and go to? But generally speaking, you should do the thing like, um, I don't know, that just that just makes you love Jesus more, whether that's commentaries or music or whatever it is. Yeah, I'll say for me, what stirs my affection for the Lord is whenever I feel like I know what he's trying to say. Because I'll read a section of scripture and be like, uh, and I'm just yeah. like, is this English? I don't really understand. And then I'll read a commentary. It's like, oh, and then I read three other commentaries and they all tend to agree or at least in the same, same type of way. Well, yeah. we only got like a minute left here. So I guess I do have one last question and it's what's your Enneagram number? <laughs> uh, I've been told it's an eight, but you told me that, that that was a demon speaking. So yeah. So don't listen to those people. And if they're anywhere near you, you cast them out of your presence, take them, you know, send them to shield. Okay. Get them out of here. No problem. All right, Joby. We'll see you next month. All right, buddy. Appreciate you. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And also we want to thank the band Holy Name for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is their song Perpetua, which is off their self-titled debut album on Face Down Records. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience, keep seeking the Lion of Judah. <laughs>